Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 611. If not to give us an advantage, then at least to make escape possible. But I had no fire, no link. I was clever enough to make do without one of those, but without both I was nearly helpless. Rain began to pour down heavily. Thunder grumbled. It was only a matter of time before the bandits figured out there were only two of them and rushed the ridge to make short work of our companions. If the three of us drew their attention, we would be overrun just as quickly. There was a concert of gentle hums and a flight of arrows leapt over the eastern ridge. Martin stopped swearing and held his breath. He looked at me. What are we going to do? He said urgently. There was a questioning shout from the camp, and when no answer was forthcoming, another flight of arrows hummed over the eastern ridge, finding the range of their target. What are we going to do? Martin repeated. What if they're hurt? What if they're dead? I closed my eyes and slid down below the ridgeline, trying to gain a moment of clear thought. My foot bumped something soft and solid. The dead sentry. A dark thought occurred. I drew a deep breath and threw myself into the heart of stone. Deep. Deeper. Than I had ever been before. All fear left me. All hesitation. I took hold of the body by its wrist and began to drag it up toward the lip of the ridge. He was a heavy man, but I hardly noticed. Martin, may I use your dead? I asked. Absently. The words were in a pleasant baritone, the calmest voice I had ever heard. Without waiting for an answer, I looked over the ridgeline toward the camp. I saw one of the men behind the wall bending his bow for another shot. I drew my long slender knife of good Ramston steel and fixed the image of the bowman in my mind. I set my teeth and stabbed the dead sentry in the kidney. The knife went in slow, as if I were stabbing heavy clay instead of flesh. A scream rose above the sound of the thunder. The man fell, his bow flying wildly out of his hands. Another mercenary stooped to look at his companion. I refocused and stabbed the sentry in his other kidney, using both hands this time. There was a second scream, shriller than the first. More a keen than a scream, I thought in an odd, separate corner of my mind. Don't shoot yet, I cautioned Martin calmly, not looking away from the camp. They still don't know where we are. I drew the knife out, refocused, and drove it coolly into the sentry's eye. A man stood upright behind the wooden wall, blood pouring down his face from underneath his clutched hands. Two of his comrades rose, trying to get him back below the wooden parapet. My knife rose and fell, and one of them toppled to the ground, even as his hands rose to his own bleeding face. And that's the page! <laughs> I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy, and this oh, is Jesus. so sick.
<laughs> uh, you can't see me listeners. I have like guitar soloing in the air. Well, that's the thing. I remember reading this when the first time being like, hell yeah, get him, Quoth. And I'm reading this now and I'm like, this is horrifying. Like, this is awful. This is what malfeasance is. And it is it is ghoulish. Quoth is slicing up a body. And as he's doing it, he's inflicting the same wounds on these other people. It's like, it's worse than shooting fish in a barrel. It's d- deeply terrifying. I have logic, sympathy questions that are less moral questions and more just how does this work questions is now a well, good time? I, I guess a corpse is a good link to a human body probably because it's like very similar especially these guys because they're probably like wearing the similar like uniforms and armor and what have you yeah they probably have each other's dirt on them and stuff like that and then quoth is basically uh it, it's more effort to do the cuts but so he's I don't think he's taking much. He might be used taking a bit of energy from his blood, but mostly I think he's just like exerting the physical force. He, he it's says, like how when you pick up um, if you're doing the, the coin trick, and you lift up one coin, you have to basically pick up the weight of both coins plus the difference that the link requires. So Kvothe is basically just like stabbing two stabbing kidneys. the body. Well, he's stabbing. Yeah, two kidneys plus the the any energy lost between the link. So it's which explains from why body. the knife goes like in slow physical exertion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the more he does it on subsequent pages, the harder it gets because he's having to continuously expend like his, his body's heat to, to make the link happen. And uh, I, I also have to imagine that the link gets worse over time because the corpse resembles less and less the people that he's hurting because he's co- constantly inflicting new wounds on it. Um, I put yeah. it to you that the only reason that they made uh, malfeasance like illegal is because it's it's just it's OP. It's it's it, they had to nerf sympathists. <laughs> they nerfed it. They just nerfed malfeasance. Yeah, because like, basically, you, I mean, if you have a sympathist <laughs> facing an army or like a couple of sympathists facing an army and you have like a human cadaver to hand, you could like make short work of a platoon of soldiers in as many minutes. Well, who's to say that isn't how the creation war went down? We actually haven't talked about, like, I think we've talked about it a bit on this podcast, but the book has really avoided the the topic of, like, arcane history for war. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we know our- there's a few, like, Kilvin, Kilvin, you know, says, like, you know, we can never use these things for bad purposes, and it... Uh, they talk about, like, the university being a place of some backstabbing in the past, but there really hasn't been a ton of, like, war wizardry um in the book at all so i mean i feel like the only place that it fits is uh is in the creation war because like if the mayor knew that arcanists could do this he would like scoop up all the arcanists from the university and put them to work right Mm -hmm. uh yeah of course he would try to weaponize them who wouldn't um i feel like our 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 uh guest of the past uh sasha had a lot to say about this about the idea of like weaponizing um sympathy in this way and why why it's it's like conspicuously absent from the present context of the of the books like if if magicians went to war it it was long in the past and it's quite taboo to to even broach the topic of doing violence to another person is like one of the worst things an arcanist can imagine doing with their power. Yeah, I think part of why it's probably taboo is that like outside of the university, no one really knows that malfeasance is a thing. Like obviously people are like a little bit distrustful of magic, but 
we have court Arcanus, we, you know, Codicus and like, uh, people like Ben traveling Arcanus and, and tinkers and things. So like people encounter them before, but I, so I think part of why it's taboo at the university and around it is so that word doesn't get out that it's even possible because then you get real fear with a real reason. And you also get people like the mayor who will come and, and weaponize it. Yeah. It's not just about the bad actors. It's uh, the bad actors. Like not just about the, the arcanist doing malfeasance. It's about what it means for all arcanists, all practitioners everywhere. If word gets out that malfeasance is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like, you're right. Someone like the mayor or like Ambrose, if Ambrose wasn't an arcanist, but he knew that an arcanist could do something like this, you bet your ass. He would either, he would cons he would like conscript all the arcanists he could and any who resisted him he'd probably have killed because his thinking is probably if i can't get them on my side then i can't trust that they aren't going to use me as a flesh mommet uh if i tick them off so i have to like purge them um and i we- still think and we're getting off topic here but i still think that ambrose isn't that amoral i don't think ambrose is directly responsible for any murders okay well then the ambrose who lives in quotes head my point is like a person yes. who has no morals um and yes we know that there were like burnings and stuff but i think that you raise a good point nick that like ordinary people just assume that arcanists are wizards who are doing bad stuff with the devil and arcanists work very hard to say, no, no, none of that is real. I just do like these kind of simple, you know, these simple beneficial tricks. I like make you a nice potion, whatever, because they know on some level that if people knew what they really were capable of, if any of them put their mind to it, there would be burnings. Definitely. And this is like the first time we really see malfeasance. Like we, we saw, uh, obviously, there's been quote dueling with other people. There's Ambrose snapping the Ambrose snapping the loot string, and then there's the sympathetic attacks that quote builds the gram to protect against. But even those are like with a momet and are sort of like exploratory prodding attacks. This and like you know with a not great link and all that. This is like w- this is a weapon. This is this is a a very frightening weapon. And like it's not just the outcome that's frightening. It's the act itself that's really horrifying. Like I I don't think. Quote, like obviously how do i articulate this the prose talks about what the knife is doing and quote says he stabs the sentry in the kidney and like he stabs it in the eye and things like that um but he's a little bit divorced from like what happens to the body when you stab it and how horrible it must be to like mutilate a corpse well because he's uh, seen so, like the act that quote is is committing is also like a horrifying one, even irrespective of its outcome where he's, he's slaughtering other people who are basically helpless. Mm-hmm. Well, cause he's in heart of stone, right? He put himself in heart yeah, of stone there, in order to be able to do this. And it's not clear from the, from the text, if he put himself in heart of stone so that he would have the focus to make the link uh, between these, the, you know, between the corpse and the living guards using only his body heat or if he put himself in heart of stone because he's like, I don't have the stomach to drive a knife through the to the gelatinous goo in the head of a of a freshly killed corpse. So I need to like detach myself from reality a little bit to get this done. I posit to you, Jeremy. Why not both? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, Jordana. Why not both? I do think, however, something interesting to point out is that um, 
Heart of Stone is related to the Lathani on some level. Um, Quoth goes into it deeper than he's ever been before, and he asks Martin, may I use your dead? He's not joking. My first reaction was like, oh, this is like a little bit of a, of like Quoth being a little bit tongue in cheek as he's doing this. But like, no, he's not capable of that. He's deep, deep in Heart of Stone. He does this without thinking because it's right, because it's right action. And he knows that now. Um, So I think that this is a bit of a nod and a bit of a hint that the idea of the Lathani and the idea of Heart of Stone are are related on some level. And same with the naming state, because I think we eventually get pretty explicit um, proof that to that the Lathani is related to the na- the state that you require to be in for naming. Uh, so I think it's all connected. Might just be different names for the same thing. And like, I, I want to reiterate that as far as I'm concerned, this is cool and good and Quoth did nothing wrong. But if you were inclined to think otherwise, the pr- like the prose is neutral as to what Quoth is doing. It's pretty mechanical. But Martin's reaction, uh, which we get more of on the next page, uh, tells us just quite how horrific this is. Where is Tempe right now? We don't really, he's not really in Quoth's uh, attention. I think Tempe does give his impression a bit later, uh, but certainly we get Martin's imp- uh, impression. And arguably Martin's impression is more important because Martin starts praying, uh, largely I think because of fear of Quoth. And I think that the prayer is important. We'll get to that uh, a bit. And then the very next chapter, which is a single page, is Martin explaining to Dayton what he saw uh, and no, without knowing that Quoth is present. And uh, Martin is very frightened and awed uh, by this. As well he should be. Yeah, I think uh, anyone should and would be horrified by this. Well, yeah, except that it's cool and these guys deserve it. <laughs> well, I, I think that, the, I think it's it, it's intentional and the pros is walking the line between that because the pros, as you say, Jeremy, is neutral about this we do get a character's reaction and even our our narrator is sort of like too far gone into heart of stone to really judge what it is that he's doing um i do kind of think and there's a bit of evidence for this later on that he like ultimately feels pretty good about it and kind of think pats himself on the back and says i i did nothing wrong and kind of avoids thinking about the uh the ramifications of this but um on this read where i am predisposed to a dimmer view of Quoth, I do find this a little bit frightening. And I do think this is like the first and the clearest demonstration of malfeasance. And like, whether you like it or not, Quoth has committed malfeasance now, like the, the darkest malfeasance. Yes. He has, whether or not it's cool or right or justified. uh, Quoth has violated the most sacrosanct law of arcanistry. Yes, that's true. But as you point out, he did it for a good reason, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> getting <laughs> getting off my, my facetious horse for a minute here, I do think that this is meant to read like someone who is like shell-shocked or, or, or like in a moment of like disassociation because they're doing something horrible, much in the same way as, you know, uh, thank God you know, thank God I have never been in a war and I don't plan to be, but I have to imagine that this is the kind of mindset that you fall into when you are in combat and you are like, you are forced to do horrible violence because the only alternative is that horrible violence will be done to you or people that you are uh, trying to protect. 
And so I think the only way you can make that palatable if you are a person with a conscience is to just disassociate yourself from it and sort of feel like it's someone else doing it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Jeremy. And that's maybe a use for Heart of Stone that uh, we haven't talked about before now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it's called that. I think, we, you know, in other... I've heard the term before, you know, like make your heart a stone or harden your heart or things like that before you have to do something hard. And I don't think that Ben necessarily intended it in that way when he taught it to Quoth, but certainly that's what he's doing now. Mm. Well, and if, as you say, the Adem have a similar technique uh, that helps them act in accordance with the Lathani, then maybe it's also a technique so that they don't become weeping blubbery messes when they have to like fight six guys at once. It's possible. There's a lot of things that are possible and we'll possibilize them all on tomorrow's page of the wind.